Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. My guest today is Don Showalter. Don is the Director of Coach Development for USA Basketball, uh, and what that means is he spent a long time working for USA Basketball. He has coached the U16 and 17 men's national junior team uh, to 10 gold medals consecutively between 2009 and 2018, heavily involved in the junior national team program, and also did that while coaching high school basketball in Iowa uh, during that 10 years. He spent 42 years as a high school coach in Iowa, uh, won over 600 games, and made six state tournament appearances uh, during his time as a high school coach in Iowa. And we're going to talk about Don's journey through high school coaching and spend a lot of time talking about his experience with USA Basketball. Please enjoy my conversation with the USA Basketball Director of Coach Development, Don Showalter. Hey, welcome to today's episode of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast. I'm ecstatic today uh, to have as my guest uh, a gentleman with with over 40 years of high school coaching experience and a long career in USA basketball. And I can't wait to talk about uh, the journey that Don Showalter has had through coaching from high school to uh, the the international game and, and coaching some of the greatest young players that our country's produced over the last decade. So, Coach Showalter, I want to say thanks so much for joining the show, and I appreciate you giving us this opportunity. It's my pleasure to be on on your podcast. I, I really appreciate people who are uh, really out to grow the game and just give uh, give listeners something that they can, some way they can improve their own, whether it be coaching or or businessman or whatever, but I know that a lot of people really listen to podcasts these days and get a lot out of them. So I appreciate being on. And, and, and you know, if, if you haven't listened to many of our podcasts, but regular listeners know it's really become kind of a storytelling platform and, and that'll be part of what we do. But in general, I'm, I'm fascinated also to kind of talk about some some experiences in your career and, and some, some evolution in coaching and, and, and really you know, what, what you think coaching is and what, what separates good coaching from average coaching and really good coaching from good coaching. So we'll get into that a little bit later in the podcast, but talk a little bit, if you would, about your background. I know, I know you were a high school coach in Iowa uh, and, and had remarkable success, but what was it before you got into the quote unquote, the profession of coaching? What was it that kind of turns you on to that? Well, I, I think with any, you know, with any of us, you know, <clears throat> That uh, people that are listening, you know, I think you have a, you kind of develop a passion for something uh, at a young age, and uh, obviously my passion was basketball. Uh, I played basketball uh, in, in high school. We had a really, we had, we had a coach in high school that probably was very, uh, to me, was probably ahead of his time as I look back and what he did with our team. Uh, we had a really great state tournament run my senior year. Went to play NAIA school at that time, Warburg College here in Waverly, Iowa. Um, and just knew I wanted to stay in basketball. And I, I knew I, I knew it, I knew I didn't want to uh, be a referee. So, so <laughs> that, that left uh, that left coaching. And, and um, I think from early on, even an elementary student, eight kid playing basketball, sixth, seventh grade, I remember that uh, you know I, I wanted to stay in the game. In some form, and, uh, and then I started. When I started coaching, I realized that you know I didn't really, didn't really want to pursue the college level. I had 
many opportunities to do that, but I just like the 16, 17, 15, 16, 17 year olds. So that's, that's my passion. And that's what we all, I think that's what we all do. What drives us is, is our passion uh, for different things. And, and uh, mine was certainly uh, coaching and basketball. And, and, and I would, would echo that. And I, I've always been kind of fascinated in that guys that get bit by the coaching bug. I mean, once it bites, it bites. And, it, and if you're lucky, you, you, you maybe survive it and get away from it and, and you, you outlast it. But most of us yeah. don't. It, it, it just doesn't leave us. And, and I, I'm always fascinated, uh, Coach, to, to talk about what, what was the thing, the person, because in, in almost every instance, it's a person that creates that, that gives you that bite, that, that, that introduces you to something about it that you just can't shake. Yeah. And, you know, to this day, I mean, I'm 48 years old and I can remember being a, an eighth grade student going to a day basketball camp at Allen East High School. And, and, and Dave Isle was just a guy who his passion and his energy and his big picture view of anything being possible and the way he motivated me as an eighth grade kid. Um, I don't remember anything after my eighth going into my eighth grade year. I don't remember anything after that that I ever thought about doing except whatever it took for me to be around and coach basketball. I wanted to do because I wanted to replicate what Dave Isle did for me. And, yeah. and do, do you remember the guy or a couple of guys that maybe were that guy for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, it was my sixth grade coach who yeah, I tell coaches all the time, the main thing you could do with your youth program is, is make, is make your players or give them some love for the game. If they love the game, they're going to go out on their own and practice and get better and whatever. And that's really what the, what my coach did for me in sixth grade. Uh, he was actually my uncle and, uh, you know, we just had a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. He made it fun. It wasn't all about, uh, I can't remember that he ever said, hey, we need to win this game. It was more about, uh, let's have fun, let's get better. Um, so that kind of started me on that path. And, that, and then I had a really, really good high school coach that I look back on. He was probably my mentor for a long time as well and really kind of an idol for me. And then my college coach was a Hall of Fame coach that had tremendous success at Warburg College. So I really had kind of a lot of guys that, that uh, kind of, you know, paved my road for being, having that passion for the game of basketball. But uh, like I tell coaches all the time, you know, now, now each one of you are that, is that person. Each one of you is that person who will, uh, who will make somebody love the game of basketball, who will have that passion uh, for that for the game and, and give it to your players. So, you know, now we take, from standpoint, somebody made us love the game. Now we're in that position where you know, we're going to have somebody else, young people, love the game. So I think that's really a, a neat thing that we can give back, how we can give back to the game as well. Well, and, and we're going to get into a, a lot more discussion about your current role. And if I butcher the title, you can correct me, but the Director of Coach Development for USA Basketball, yeah. is that? Yeah, I'm USA Basketball, Director of Coach Development and uh, – uh, I coached our junior national teams for 10 years, and now I, I also oversee our, our junior national team, U16, U17 uh, teams. Well, when, when I when I do the, the, the brief intro to this and record that after the podcast is over, I probably will, and then I'll have to type up a little summary 
uh, it won't take it won't take me the six minutes and 49 seconds to get to those credentials because I, I I think I think I'll hook a listener or two if I tell them I'm talking to a 10 time gold medalist. And uh, and I, th- I think that's uh, pretty phenomenal. But 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 that again, that's for a little bit later in the podcast. I really do want to spend some time talking about those things. Uh, what I really want to get into for you is, is and, and again, for everybody, it's different for those of us that have spent much time in coaching and, and as different as as. I, I say this all the time, as different as people's careers and journeys can be, it really is about the game and 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 whatever your 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 level is. For me, I, my first quote unquote coaching experience was uh, when I was about a high school sophomore. Uh, I coached fifth grade boys at the YMCA and, yeah. and and that was my first real coaching experience. And then as a high school senior, I had decided I was going to go to college and be a student assistant at a division three program. So that summer I went and worked. Uh, camps at their camp, and then I coached a couple AAU teams. But those those were the early experiences that I think for most young coaches, you get that itch. Like I wanted to be a head coach as soon as I could. I, I couldn't wait to try to have that opportunity. When you got your start in coaching, were you able to be an assistant anywhere for for a, a period of time? Did you work under people to develop, or were you able to to, to start pretty early as a head coach? Yeah, you know that's a great question because I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the best path is for coaches, but for me, uh, I, I got a head job at a small high school right out of college uh, for two years. Uh, I was at Lone Tree High School, and uh, the, 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 they were the two years before I took the job. They were like 0 and 36, and I, I didn't really realize how bad they were. Uh, you know, right out of college, we all think we can go in and turn it around right away, and we're you know. For God's gift to the coaching family now that we're out of college and we just know everything. I think you get humble pretty quick uh, when when that happens. Like Jeff Van Gundy has a great line. He said there's two there's two types of coaches: uh, coaches that are humble and coaches that will be humble. That's it, that made me laugh when you said that, Coach, because I think I heard Lenny Acuff say it earlier on a podcast a couple weeks ago. He said, "In coaching, you're either humbled or you're about to be." Yeah, uh, so I, I think. So, you know, I was humbled pretty pretty quickly that first first year. I mean, you know, uh, but I, I look back, and that was a great situation for me as a young coach coming out of the high school because they didn't expect it much. And, and so the expectations that I had for the program are much higher than the expectations that parents and, and probably the players had. So, you know, they just – it was just – they could appreciate whatever I did with the, uh, with the players there – uh, I, I really tried to. I think what made it made a big difference in our two seasons there, and we didn't. We we did end up having having some pretty good. The second year was much was pretty good from the standpoint of, of wins and losses. But I think more than that is uh, when people know that you care about them, they're really going to you know try and do what they can uh, to 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 do just to please you. And I think that that helped me that first two years. You know, the only thing they cared about was that somebody cared about them. They really didn't care about the wins and losses because they, had, they didn't have any losses the two years before that. So that was a great situation for me, uh, being a head coach right out of, high, right out of college. Like I said, that, that's not necessarily for everybody, but I think for me it happened to be a really good spot. Uh, and then, you know, you're fortunate to get other opportunities. Uh, you know, I know, I knew if I stayed there too long, uh, I probably would not be able to 
to move on to something that maybe I felt was a little better. Um, and then I got my second job was where I stayed at for eight years was another high school up in the bigger one up in uh, the northeast part of the state, but uh, had a tremendous basketball tradition. And so I went from a from a coach uh, coaching at a high school that hadn't won anything to a coach coaching at a high school that had tremendous tradition in state tournament. Uh, so really, it was two two completely different uh, jobs that I that I took over. And uh, and, and so you know, I look back on those on those years. I was probably fortunate to get both those jobs. And then I went back to my alma mater, and uh, which I said I would never do, but uh, uh, it really worked out well. Uh, coming back, uh, I knew a lot of people, obviously, from when I played. I, I think that it, it helped that I had, had a really very successful career at the high school uh, when I played there. So I came back. Uh, it was a it was a pretty seamless way to, to uh, work myself into into the program and. Um, I ended up staying 28 years at Mid Prairie, being athletic director and, and head basketball coach, and then I ended up the last four years of my career at Iowa City High, which is a very, very one of the largest schools in our state, but very diverse, a great situation. I love that. So, so my path is uh, maybe a little different than most, but I tell coaches and coaches that are listening, if you if you want to get a head job, I think it's imperative that where you're at, before you get that head varsity job, you need to be a head coach at some level. So you know, you know, what it takes to make a practice schedule, to deal with parents, to get the uniforms around, to do all that stuff that coaches do that nobody knows. Um, so, you know, whether it's a head, whether it's a head sophomore coach, head freshman coach, head eighth grade coach, head seventh grade coach, I think it's really imperative that that, that is something that coaches need to do before they set out and get a get a head high school job if that's what they want to do and i think that's really terrific advice because i i was in a similar situation was a head coach at, at a high school right out of college at, at 23 and i wouldn't trade that experience mine was a little bit different it was a program that had really really struggled and I look back on it now, we, we had the good fortune that may have actually been a curse of, of winning four games the first year and 16 the second year. And and when we yeah. when we win the 16 the second year, I kind of, as a young guy, I thought, well, hell, they'll always buy in. They'll always run through a wall for you, and it'll always be this easy, and then it's not, and, and, and it yeah. creates a struggle. But I, I, I think young coaches, um, because of the way things are presented today, there's so much information and so much access to resources at your fingertips that – it's a mistake to assume the basketball is all there is. The administrative side and the, the, the relationship side and the dealing with people side is the thing that most coaches, uh, if you if you grab the wrong head coaching job real early, that's the stuff that will end you. And that, that has very little to do with basketball, but it has a lot to do with the job of coaching. Oh, no, no question. And that's why I said, as I look, as I look back and, uh, you know, I get asked the question, what are some things you would do better as a coach if you were to go back and redo it? Or what are some things you learned uh, in your, you know, in my 42 years of coaching? Well, one, the number one thing is communication. I would probably communicate better, maybe different. I mean, you know, we didn't have email and text and all that social media stuff when I first started. But uh, I think just the communication is, um, you know, when you think you've done 
enough, then do some more because you can't over communicate with, with parents and players and, and administrators uh, in, in your school and, and on your team. So I think that's, you know, you, you said, you really mentioned that, that, that as far as, as, as being a coach and what, what I think will stabilize you as a coach moving forward even when you have some really bad years. And I think communication is one. And I'd like to jump back just a little bit to, to talk about some of the basketball stuff. When you talk about the difference in the, the first job that you took and the second job that you took in terms of the expectations and the, the, the stability of the program and the success history and tradition of the program, with those differences that you were going to be uh, confronted with, did, did you have a different mindset in taking over that second program? Was there anything different about your approach? You know, I was still a young coach. I was only, you know, I was really basically in my third year of coaching. I was coaching at the second high school, which had a tremendous um, tradition for basketball. So I probably didn't even realize uh, that there was that big difference <laughs> and, until, you know, later on I look back on it. Um, but obviously the skill level was much higher. Um, kids, ex you know, the expectations for winning were much higher. Um, so I, you know, I just think that the standard was just higher at, at the second school I was at for basketball, for winning, for uh, for accomplishing, for getting better. And, you know, they spent more time in basketball than than the first job I had. You know, because they were really uh, that was the sport at the school that really carried the school was boys basketball. And you know, I made some some really big blunders I think that first year. Um, maybe not understanding uh, the level I was at uh, for basketball, uh, but I, but I think I learned a lot from it. I think I adjusted pretty well. I, I go always go back to say that, that you know if, if players if players know you care about them, that's the number one thing. They they will run through a wall for you as a coach if they know you care. So so even that first year. I think the players knew I really cared about them as individuals, cared about them getting better. You know, we did a lot of stuff off the court uh, as well. So my mindset probably didn't wasn't much different when I took that job. But I think as I got into the job, I made some adjustments that were needed for, for me to take that program even to the next level. And when you think about the, the kind of things that you focused on to, to, to elevate the program, did, did I mean, when you went, did you have a, a kind of a, a, a prioritized checklist of the things you needed to get established? Were you, was it more about spending some time seeing what you had and acclimating to those guys? What, what was your approach in trying to get that program to, to elevate it maybe one notch higher? Did, was it, was it an X and O thing? Was it a was it a, um, a a mindset approach thing? Was it developing the lower level of the program? Where did you spend your time to try and get that program to the next level, as you mentioned? Well, I think there's there's several different areas. Uh, I think the, your youth programs are hugely important. If you're going to keep sustain a program that is very successful, the youth programs have to be top notch, and so. That was, you know, I'd always done that. I mean, I was, I was always a part of that. Even started that at, at the first school I was at in Lone Tree, and uh, I think I took it kind of the next level. 
at, uh, at, at Central High School in Elkader, where, where my second job was. And what I mean by that, you know, we had um, we had more summer camps. We uh, we we did. You know, at that time there wasn't a lot of club sports. You know, it wasn't like if you play AU. So we probably had the best camp in the whole area where we had kids from all over coming uh, into town for for uh, for our camps, from our youth camps all the way up to high school. So that was one thing I really developed that I thought uh, would take our program to the next level, and, and which it did. You know, two or three years down the road, it was it was one of the best, and and uh, really took our program from being good to, to probably being another notch of good. Uh, I think the other thing is I, did, I didn't really have a checklist, so to speak, because I didn't really know what, what we had coming in, what I had coming in. But I, I think as I progressed with preseason that first year and during the season, you know, I kind of had to make my own checklist of, all right, here's, you know, here's something I need to work on for the following year, or here's something I need to work on for the following summer. So it's more of a situation where you get into those situations and then you you kind of pick it apart and determine in your own mind what's going to make that job uh, really good uh, or raise it a level up. And, and so, um, you know, the youth program, I, I think uh, the kids were really skilled, but they had never been really what I call pushed beyond their comfort zone. And so I think that's one of the things that I try to do is really maybe uh, motivate our kids to get out of their comfort zone, to do some things that they were not comfortable with in their skill development at that time. And you know, again, skill development wasn't a big wasn't a big term. It wasn't something that you know everybody threw out like they do now. I got a trainer for skill development. No, it was really individual skill development work, but most of it took place on. on a, on the outside courts, on on a blacktop court, uh, where you know. So, so I think the motivation behind uh, what we did with with the kids kind of took their level up two or three notches. You know, we started a little three on. We had a three on three league, uh, really uh, outdoor three on three league for high school players and uh, middle school players. And so I think that was really good because. Three on three is a great way to teach the game and learn the game without having a coach around all the time. So we started a league like that. Uh, so just various things um, that, that I think really took our kept our kept the program at a high level, but also uh, maybe took it up a notch or two. When when you get through uh, at the second school, you said yeah, I think you were there for eight years, so ten or eleven years as a head coach, and and you prepare to take. Uh, a third head coaching job. Um, I I had a guy tell me once when I was young in coaching that he felt like for him, and he'd been at it a long time, I never was able to stay any place as long as he did, but he said when he got by about his 10th year as a head coach is when he really started to learn and grow and develop. Um, he said, you know, you grow and develop a little bit every year, but he felt like after about year 10, he started to really be able to focus in on what he needed to improve um, can you can you identify things maybe after your first ten years or so that where you really made strides as a coach and that was impactful on the the later part of your career? That's a great question because I I think it does take time time to you know just to develop a philosophy and that we're not talking X's and O's because 
your philosophy isn't dependent on X and O's at the high school level. Uh, you know, you can't you can't run the same X's and O's every year at the high school level because of the changeover of players that you have. So you really have to adjust to uh, you know to the to the players that you have. Um, what I would say is, um, I think after about year seven or eight or nine, somewhere in there, I think you feel really comfortable in how you teach things. And I don't think it's so much what you teach. I think it's more how you teach things. And so I, I can, you know, I can vividly remember that my first two two years at Lone Tree and then at Central High School uh, for a couple of years, you know, you're always a little unsure that you are teaching the game or what they need to know the right way. And after about years eight, nine, ten, I think you're very, at least I was, much more comfortable in knowing that hey, here's how I'm here's how I'm going to teach the game. And I felt real confident in the fact that this is the way that is best for me to teach the game. And I tell coaches, young coaches, this all the time, you know. It's not what you teach. You, know, you go on the internet and get millions of drills and offenses and defenses. It's really not what you teach, but it's how you teach it. And how you teach it is really how your team responds to you and how, how the, your team responds um, to what you want done. So I think that, that's the main thing for me is the level of comfort I felt in how, how I teach things. And then I, I think also, obviously, I did a much better job, you know, in year nine and ten, uh, eleven. I, you know, evaluating players, seeing what was best for us as a team. You know, I always love to press. Well, you can't press on years because you don't have that that type of pressing team. But uh, I felt real comfortable in the fact that I could evaluate a team, evaluate players, and then put them in a spot to be successful. I think that's huge in, in coaching, is to put your players in a spot where they could be very successful uh, on the court. And I, I think it, it takes a while to do that. Uh, I think it takes you know, every bit of nine, ten, ten years in order to do that. So I think those are the two main things I felt uh, really helped me uh, after ten years uh, of coaching and, and kind of made me feel that I could really uh, – Coach a team up, so to speak. Um, coach a team that maybe wasn't expected to do much, but still have a really good season from those from that team, uh, which we were which we were very fortunate to do most years. And, and you know, you, you said it's it's not what you teach, it's how you teach it. I think that's oftentimes lacking in, in the society that we're in today because there is so much on the internet and there's so much YouTube and there's so many clips and things that, that people can watch that they, they're going to do what Michigan State does or they're going to do what, you know, whoever does. And, and, and they don't get the opportunity to learn about how you teach. And, and we've got about four minutes here before we take our break. But I've heard you speak on what you believe are kind of like the five steps in effective teaching. And in, in, in a brief three or four minutes, can you kind of summarize how you feel about what it means to effectively teach something? Yeah, I mean, you know, kids learn different ways. So I think you have to be very cognizant of the fact that how you're teaching things has to relate to every kid on your team, not just a couple of them or not just half of them. So, I mean, obviously when you teach something, I think this is what you're referring to, uh, you start out by you, you explain what you want done. 
uh, in that explanation, you, you give an explanation. Some kids learn that that's all they need. Um, but then you also, second thing is you have to show it. So we always demonstrate it. Uh, we explain it, then we show it, demonstrate what we want done. And then the third thing is we rep it. Repetition causes habits. And so after you explain it, after you show it, then you rep it. You got to get a lot of reps in. And then you correct it. Well, then you correct those reps. Sorry, right, maybe we're not staying low enough or our pivot, pivoting is not good enough or whatever. And then you correct it and then you rep it again. So really those are the five steps I think that are really important in whatever you're teaching. Uh, so kids can get an idea of, of they hear it, they see it, they rep it, they correct it, get it corrected and they rep it again. And I love that because I think that is simple and it's repeatable, but it's also going to be good teaching for however long somebody is in the game. And, and there is a lot of discussion today, Coach Showalter, about, uh, you know, how much time you spend in in in, in repetitious, repeti repetition type drills that, that maybe aren't five on five or aren't necessarily highly competitive and how much time uh, there's, a, I think, a lot of, of movement to try and spend more time competing and, and it still comes down to those five steps. However you go about that, whether it's in a two on two, a three on three, building up to five on five or whatever it is. I think that that is uh, solid gold teaching what you just described. And I, I hope that young coaches that might listen to this podcast are, are going to jot that down and make sure that however they go about it, that that's that's their approach uh, to teaching things. And, and the reason I wanted to kind of end our first segment on that question is after our break, I want to get into your time with USA Basketball. Um, and, and then spend some time talking about the way you go about coaching the game when you're working with some of the elite young men across our country over the last decade that have gone on to to brief college and, and exceptional NBA careers in a lot of cases. Yeah, I appreciate your appreciate that first step. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. So, Coach Showalter, you, you've talked about, and we, we mentioned early in the podcast, that you are now the USA Basketball Director of Coach Development. You were the USA Junior National Team Coach uh, for a lot of years. You won 10 gold medals uh, with, with the USA Junior National Team, which means you coached the elite of the elite from across this country. And when you have success as a, as a coach in Iowa like you had, you talked about the fact that you probably had the opportunity to get into the college game and opted not to, opted to stay in high school, how does an opportunity like that kind of involvement with USA basketball come about? Yeah, it's, you know, I get, I get asked that question a lot uh, because it, it's not, now obviously it's, it's out of the, it's kind of a little bit out, out of uh, the realm of possibility for, for a really kind of an unknown coach from Iowa be involved with USA basketball and coach the elite of the elite at 16 and 17. So uh, a good, I think a good lesson for coaches as well as it is uh, I really became involved with USA basketball from the, from the standpoint of working camps and going to clinics. I, I was a big clinic guy. I loved to go to clinics, hear people speak, uh, mingle with the, with the people that were there, the other coaches that were there, kind of build a little bit of a network type of thing. Uh, I think that was huge for me. 
now you go on the internet and you can get what you want, you know, and you feel, I don't really have to go to clinics anymore. Well, you know, you miss, you miss a lot of the networking and the interaction and the watching how coaches coach if you don't attend a clinic. And in the camps, I, I work camps. I was a camp guy. I mean, I love going to basketball camps and working camps in the summer. Um, my family went with me out west. I'd work, um, you know, I worked John Wood's camp. Uh, many people know the ex-UCLA coach who won 10 national championships. But I actually worked his camps for about 20 or 20 years out in, in California. Um, I worked Snow Valley Basketball School out in California. Now I run, run it here in Iowa. So, you know, by going to camps, you, you again, you just, you build, you build your network. And that's really how I got involved with USA Basketball. Um, you know, I met people that uh, were working with USA Basketball at a camp maybe, or uh, had some knowledge of what, what USA Basketball was doing. And, and uh, the one guy at that time was Milt Newt, who's the oh, yeah. GM now for the Bucks. Yeah, and uh, he he was one of the guys that worked for USA Basketball. That was the, the director of the junior national team. So I got to know him, and you know, it's just one of those things where, it, and I tell coaches all the time this: you have to do a great job of where you're at today. You don't have to worry about. Don't be worried about. You know, is this going to get me another job? Is this going to get me a a better job or a more high paying job or a D1 coaching job or D1 assistant, whatever, you know, that, that is really not what your goal should be. Your goal should be, I'm just going to do a great job of where I'm at today. And I, I think that really shows a lot um, to people too, when you do that, because if you don't do a great job of where you're at, you're not going to get a chance to be a, a head coach or an assistant coach at a better school or whatever. You have to do a really good job where you're at. So I think, uh, from working camps, people like what you do. They give you opportunities. And if you get opportunities, you take advantage of them. And that's exactly kind of what I did with my career with USA Basketball. I, I first coached in the Hoop Summit in 1998. Um, Mel Noon at that time asked me, he said, hey, you, you know, you, <clears throat> and I had never done anything with USA Basketball before, um, before this time, but, uh, he asked me if I want to be the head coach for the Hoop Summit, which is which is a game uh, we have our top seniors play against international seniors. And right now, or every year, it's been in Portland here for a lot of uh, for a lot of years. Uh, I like coach who was in San Antonio right during the Final Four, and I always say we we played against the long-haired uh, kid from uh, from uh, Germany. Oh yeah. Our, in our in our game, and uh, you know we held him to like 35 points and 25 rebounds. So uh, it, it was it was a great experience. But you know they like what I do, and so I was on some committees, and we had some festivals go on. We had festivals with that included LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, James Harden, all those guys when they were in high school in 2002, 2003, um, and then FIBA started the U16, U17. Uh, competition, and they asked me then if I wanted to be a coach of that. And fortunately, I came on at a good time because they wanted some stability in the program, in the program, both the senior men's level, which 
Coach K um, was involved in uh, down to the junior national team. So, uh, you know, they kept asking me if I'd be able to coach that or wanted to coach that uh, for 10 straight years. Of course, you know, you, you never turn it down. Although I will say the pressure to win every year got a little increased a little bit because, you know, that, that was a, a big deal. And, and uh, to win a gold medal was what, what the expectations were. So that's kind of my involvement. Uh, long answer to your, to your question about my involvement with USA basketball. I still coach my, my high school basketball until, until uh, four years ago. And then I went full time with USA basketball with their coach development and organizing and overseeing the, the, uh, for, for the most part, uh, your high school season and what you did with, with USA Basketball, there weren't a lot of, of calendar type of conflicts, but uh, were, were there times in, in the late summer, in the fall, when you had to sacrifice uh, time with your high school team to be involved with, with the USA Basketball stuff? Well, you know, it, it really worked out pretty well. Uh, I will say this, I had, I had my assistant's I had some tremendous assistants that were my high school assistants. And it, it allowed, not only allowed them, it allowed them to kind of grow as a coach as well, because I pretty much gave a lot of stuff over them. You know, and of course, then, you know, there were more tournaments that heightened, you know, the club, the club competition was getting more and more in the early 2000s. And, and our kids would go to tournaments and play in tournaments. Um, and so it really gave my, my assistants are really something that I think helped them out as they, as they themselves prepared to be a head coach. Plus, it, it, it gave some respect to the players listening to our, to our, my assistants. They, they understood that, you know, that I was working with USA basketball and they, players were really good at that. And now they, their coach was, was my assistant coach, uh, our assistant coaches. So I, I think that gave kind of a whole new level of our, our program, basically, because it raised the level of our assistant coaches. The, the, the trust and the caring of our assistant coaches certainly went up uh, two or three notches. And uh, uh, it was just really, I think it really, in the long run, it probably did more for our, our high school program. But I wasn't even around some of the time uh, than it did when I was around. They, they learned to listen to other voices. Uh, in, in the gym as well. So uh, that, that kind of stuff, I think, uh, I look back on, and there's some real positive things that happened uh, during that time, too. Even though I couldn't be with my high school team, uh, you know, seven days a week, I, uh, my assistant certainly did a great job with that. I think there is absolute remarkable value in, in your assistant coaches having a voice and using that voice um, obviously over the course of time, if they're with you for very long, it's important, but I think there's even per particular importance in it during stretches of a single season. Uh, I, I think players need a different voice from time to time on a given day or in a given circumstance. And you're right. If, if, if it's helping your assistants develop toward the possibility of being a head coach, it's that much better for them. I had mentioned to you before we started recording that I, I recently recorded a podcast with Carl Creamer at Moeller high school in Cincinnati. And, he, he talked about the, the term that they use with, he, with within their staff is they try to operate as a community of equals. Um, and I, I thought that was a fascinating term. And, and I mean, you got to be a little secure in who you are as a coach, but I think there's tremendous value in, in your assistant coaches feeling like they have a voice, they can use that voice. And then what you said is really important is that that voice is received and accepted well by the players. I, I think there's 
a great value in that. And I, I hate to jump around a little bit. I feel like I kind of am being a little scattershot here, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about the development of our of our USA basketball program over the 20 or so years that you've been involved with it. I, it almost boggles my mind that we lacked some certain, to a certain degree, we lacked a level of consistency and, and foundation for, for our, for our national basketball. It really wasn't a lot of a program for a lot of its history. And it, and it started to really change during the time that you were uh, involved. Can you describe what that was like? Yeah. Oh, well, um, in, in 2000, uh, I think it was 2000, Four, we got a bronze medal in the Olympics. Uh, yeah, I remember it well. In Greece, and that, you know that's that's not what we want. Uh, we had some really good NBA players that played, but uh, they just did not buy into USA basketball. Uh, 2006, the World Championship was held in uh, Indianapolis, and they finished sixth or seventh um, with again a group good group of NBA players. Uh, well, I think what happened then, uh, USA Basketball kind of turned the switch on and said, you know, we have to do a better job. Of, number one is having the players buy into what we're doing. Number two, getting a strong commitment of playing for our country. And so that's when Coach K came on board for the 2008 Olympics. And uh, he really developed high standards. He developed a love for playing for our country. That's something that you know, our players don't really ever play for as our country or have any semblance of how that happens. So for our kids to come in, you know, they play for the high school, they play for the club team, but, but playing for your country is a whole different level. And so uh, Coach K came in, uh, Jerry Glanzo really was our team director at that time. Uh, he got players who really wanted and made a commitment to be a part of the USA basketball program. And, um, you know, we won gold since then. And what happened is that, like I said, I came in at a good time in 2009. And my first class was um, 2009, Brad Beal, Andre Drummond, Quinn Cook, Michael Gilchrist. There's really some, really, you know, obviously some good players. Um, but we wanted some, some really uh, good uh, consistency in our programs. Uh, and so... You know, Coach K, he coached from 2008 through 2016. Um, uh, and, and that kind of allowed me uh, to coach our junior team for some of those 10 years as well because consistency was the thing that we wanted to bring in. You know, the, the pressing defense, the playing for your country team. So a lot of our young players in advance playing for uh, USA basketball down, down the road. Uh, our U18, U19 team was our next, was Billy Donovan coached that as well uh, for several years until he took over as the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we, we very consistent in what we were doing, same type of stuff, same type of uh, defense, same type of offenses. So uh, that's really been a big factor in 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 what we've done and how why we've been successful. And, and if you would, I'd like to talk about the coaching that that U16, 17 kind of age group. When you're bringing kids from across our country and who are the best of the best, they obviously are the way it operates today. They're going to know each other. They compete on the AAU circuit. But when you bring those kids together um, for a, a camp type session or to prepare for a competition, 
Uh, and you've got a, a, a style of play that you prefer. And we've talked a little bit about your coaching philosophy. What are, what are the challenges that you face in trying to get that diverse group of kids from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different circumstances with their high school situation? Uh, what's the challenge of getting them on the same page and, and, and creating uh, an identity for that team? Well, good question, because that, that's really what we have, the work we have to do. I mean, it's not so much developing players as it is developing team. And we're not, it's not like the McDonald's game where we just pick 12 guys who are really good. You know, we right now, last uh, four years, we've had like four training camps a year. So we bring in kids. We have a chance to work with them so they get to know what our standards are, what our philosophy is on USA basketball. And we'll bring in about uh, 40 kids or so for each trick for a training camp to to make up a team. So uh, next summer will be our U16 training camp. We'll bring in 40 players. I'll go watch me another guy. Uh, we'll, we'll go watch every player that we invite. We go watch and see because some players are really good, but we don't really they don't fit what we want. And so I think that's important for aspect of it. But you know, our main job is to is to really develop those kids into a team. And you know, they all come from they're the best guy. They're they, they don't they don't play with anybody as good as them. Um, some play against some pretty good players, but nobody nobody plays against four other players or play with four other players as good as they are. And so when you talk about Brad Beal, now he's playing with Andre Drummond, who's a tremendous post player, and Quinn Cook, who's a point guard, uh, Michael Gilchrist, who's, who's wing. You know, they're playing with players as good as they are, and they're not really sure you know, how to play with other really good players. Because they are, they're used to having the ball in their hands all the time and make it, you know, decide when they're going to shoot. They decide when they're going to shoot or not shoot uh, based on, you know, based on, how they feel, not on not on what's being done. So, you know, our job is to educate them. They really want to get better. I mean, they, they all have um, goals of getting to the NBA. So they want to get better. And um, they want to be coached. Uh, Jason Tatum, I mean, you know, he, he wanted to be coached. Uh, and and I think we, were, we would do those guys a disservice if we just came in and kind of, kind of didn't take it, take it to the level that they wanted it to. So, uh, we try to build a culture, a standard of, of uh, players that care for each other, that are great teammates, that are unselfish. Um, not necessarily the, top, the best 12 players in the country. You know, we've taken uh, Romeo Weems, who's like rated number 84th last year or two years ago. He's now at DePaul, but um, he started for us. Uh, you know, so guys like that um, come in and, and – um, just fit what we want and you know, they give up themselves to be part of the team. So that's really what we emphasize uh, when they come in for the training camp. And uh, I will say the training camp is um, that's to, that's when we actually pick a team. Then we have many camps where we bring them in like in October and April and July where they, we don't pick a team and we just coach them for three days. We work on their skills and, and those kind of things. So um, we've done a much better job uh, when we started mini camps, I think, um, rather than just bring them in for a training camp, pick a team, and go play. 
that was uh, that was a challenge for us. But um, obviously, everybody involved did a really good job with that. Well, what does a, a training camp session day to day look like? Are, are there multiple sessions in a day? Is it mostly playing five on five with a lot of freedom, and you're just letting players be who they are and trying to determine who fits? Uh, what, what's a typical training camp day or training camp session look like? Great question, because really our, our training camps are, from my standpoint, I run those just like my own high school practice. So nice. I like that. When I was, at, I was City High or Mid-Prairie, I ran just like my high school practice. I didn't, we didn't, we didn't scrimmage anymore. We didn't scrimmage any less. Um, you know, we just, I ran the drills like I would run it for my high school team. Obviously, you know, there's a little different level there of skill and eliteness, but, um, you know, the same type of approach I took in my high school team, I would take with our USA basketball team. We'd have two practices a day. They'd be there for about seven days, eight days before we went to competition. So we'd have two practices a day. Um, then we'd go to Argentina or wherever we had, Spain, where we had our competition. Then we had another four or five days that we had a, a pre-tournament games and then had some practices before we actually got in the tournament. So um, having said that, I didn't do anything different. I, mean, I ran the same pivoting drills, a jump stop pivot drills, same shooting drills. Uh, we pressed the same way we did in high school. Um, and, you know, the USA basketball kids, uh, they bought into that. I mean, they just, they knew it, they, were getting, they were getting better. And uh, I, I coached them hard. Our staff, my staff coached them hard uh, as well. You know, we were demanding with them. I think coaches that listen to this, there's, there's something you can, you know, players want you to be demanding, um, but, but they don't want you to be demeaning. You know, they want you to be demanding without being demeaning. I think that's really important. With these, with these elite kids, once you start, if you demean them, you have, they have no respect for you anymore. So, you know, cut the sarcasm, be demanding with them, but, but they, they really uh, trust you that you're making them better when that happens. I, I love that you said cut the sarcasm because that's something I needed repeated to me really early in my life and nobody did it. <laughs> I wish I would have learned that, learned that earlier as a coach. I think there's a, a remarkable importance on that today with, with just the, the, the way that most youth uh, respond to authority is, is that's, that's incredibly important. Um, what, I'm, what I'm a little fascinated by right now, Coach Showalter, if you wouldn't mind talking about when you, when you talk about uh, being in a training camp setting versus a mini camp setting, when are you doing most of your install in terms of what you want to do defensively and how you're building your full court stuff versus your half court stuff? Does that take place at training camp? Is that, is that, heavily in the training camp and, and briefly stuff you bring up in the mini camp. How does, how does your install, particularly of your defense work? Yeah. You know, we, we have, we, we, we have a press system that we have in place uh, for our, our USA basketball. And we, you know, we, we pretty much know the level of kid, the level of player, the level of skill that we get in. So we don't really have to change much in what we're doing. So, um, and that's what kind of Coach K obviously was with too. And, and uh, uh, you know, so you know what kind of player you're going to get. As opposed to my own high school team, sometimes years are different. But uh, 
we will play in the basics of what we do at our at our mini camps. So we have all the players at our mini camps for different age levels and everything. So um, you know we we have we may have 80 kids in our mini camps uh, and and then invite uh, but but only invite about 30 30 back for training camp which which for that age level is what we had in, in, uh, in the mini camp. So well, we'll give the basics. We do a lot of three on three stuff. Each of you know we we don't really teach a lot of sets. We teach out the concepts of how to play out of certain sets. So we might we might run a horn set, but then all right, here's your options out of that horn set. Uh, we may run a side screen and roll, pick and roll, which we have a continuity offense that we use for that. Uh, but here's your options out of that. You know, we don't we don't say specifically, here's what you look for, or here's what you have to get out of this set. Um, because you know we just want the kids to learn how to play. We do we do that a lot playing three on three. And as a young coach, I I wish I would have done more three on three, three on zero to three on three work as a younger coach because I think that's really the way players learn how to play the game. Uh, you know, backdoor cuts, um, pick and rolls, how to defend pick and rolls. Um, you know, driving to the basket where you should be on a baseline drive, you know, should have a guy's baseline drift and then go into the middle. So you get uh, players learning how to play the game from tree on tree. So we do a lot of those kind of things in our mini camp, more conceptual type of stuff, then more specific type of team stuff comes in with our training camp where, all right, we're going to put in exactly here's Here's our press that we're going to use. We'll put that in over a four or five day period in our in our actual training camps. If that makes sense. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. If I could just ask one more question along those lines of, of installing and, and working with your 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 teams at USA Basketball, you've got them for a relatively limited period of time, and you're trying to be consistent at at every age level in what you install and what you teach in terms of concepts, particularly defensively, but also at the other end of the floor. You don't have a lot of time for for it's going to sound odd. You don't have a lot of time for talking as a coach. How, how important how important is it, and how do you guys go about making sure you create a common language, uh, terminology system, verbiage for for all the guys? So when you speak in short bursts, guys have an absolute clarity on what you want. That is such a huge thing is to to make sure the terminology is consistent. You know, and, and a lot of times you know we'll do that in the, we'll do that in the mini camp. You know, so our terminology of pick and rolls, you know, our pick and roll coverage, drop, black, you know, switching, which means switching. Those kind of things will come in our mini camps, so they kind of have that terminology. But as a high school coach, I think it's it's utterly uh, mandatory that when you when your terminology, kids have to know understand terminology. And uh, you know, we we do it a couple different ways. We do it on the court, but really we do it off the court as well. Uh, we always have a, a short team meeting before we start practice because I think it's important that kids get ready to practice. I, I think players come too many times and, and don't aren't ready to practice for whatever reason, whatever going on during the day. So we have a short team meeting. Sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's ten minutes. We have a notebook. They keep a notebook. I always have a mind candy for the day, which is a phrase maybe that 
illustrates what we wanted to have done uh, with our with the bay. Is that where Flannery is that where Flannery stole that stuff? It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly right. Yeah. When he was my assistant. We you know, we did that for for uh, for all our for for all our, our teams. So yeah, that's a and then and then they and then we you know terminology they write it down they have to know what our terminology is so uh, on the court sometimes you know I, I think there's a teaching time and then there's a then there's a uh, a, a time for for play uh, you know learn how to play but I really think that a lot of times we coaches I, I tell you we talk too much during practice kids kids have a very short attention span so we. When we over talk and over explain things, you know, we lose them. So what we need to do a better job of as coaches is is teach what I call them sound bites, not paragraphs. So we teach just short sound bites. You know, you're not you're not giving them the whole playbook at once. You're giving them bits and pieces. And then you teach from those bits and pieces. You know, you continually teach in sound bites as opposed to stopping everything and, and giving a long five minute dissertation on on uh, pick and roll defense. I think you get the habits are built with the reps and then you put it into play the three on three and then you have to correct your then you have to correct that again. So uh, or find out what you need to do better of in, in your skill in your skill work. So uh, I think that all comes back into being a piece of the coaching uh, part that you know sometimes coaches overlook. Uh, I think I think we also do a lot with that. I think coaches repeat themselves way too often in practice. Um, and, and players tend not to listen to you if they know you're going to repeat things. So I got to be a much better coach uh, when I didn't repeat things in practice. Uh, now, obviously, there's sometimes you have to, when you're teaching, you may want to say things, the same thing in a different way. But when you're given a direction, like, hey, give me five lines on the baseline, with no more than four in a line, you should not have to say that twice uh, because uh, you're just taking up practice time, you're stalling the floor, you're practice down. So teaching sound bites and don't repeat stuff, I think, are two things that um, certainly help me become a better coach. You know, I, I'm glad you went through that that part of your explanation. That That was almost verbatim a part of a podcast I listened to you on earlier this spring, um, and I wasn't sure it would be a part of, of what we talked about today, but um, I, I know from my own experience that I, I, I was very guilty of talking too much as a young coach, and I was certainly guilty of repeating myself and, and taking some onus off the guys. And, and I, I, on that note, I, I would like to ask I, for your opinion on when, you, when you're creating competitive scenarios in practice, I've worked for coaches who say, all right, we, we, we need two teams of five, and then they make the guys talk it out, figure out whose shirts, whose skins, or whose T-shirts and whose jerseys or whatever. And then I've, I've worked for coaches who, who are going to create their matchup. The, the, the team one is going to be the guys I picked and put here. Team two is going to be these because they want certain guys going head-to-head. How, how do you view that in terms of putting some onus on the players when it's time for yeah. competitive scenarios? Do they, do they put themselves together? Do you put them together? Is it a mix of both? Well, I've done it both ways. I think there's a time where I want to see, all right, I want to see two players going against each other. And I will do this before practice every starts to help practice flow. So they know what team of five they're on. They'll know what team of four they're on if we go four on four. 
they'll know what team of three they're on, so go three on three. So it's not a matter of our, I'm out of Christ, I'm going, all right, uh, Johnny, Johnny, Billy, and and Pete, you guys are gold blue, and, and then you three go, no, they already know the teams they're on. So I think that's really important to coach because that really helps practice flow. So but a lot of times I'll call out, all right, we're going to go three on three, uh, blue team ball, white team, you're on defense first. Um, and then the third team or fourth team where we have pennies or whatever, yellow team on, on the baseline. So kids know what team they're on. Many times during a season, uh, I will say I will have uh, players pick who they want. So, like, even before practice, I may, if I have a chance, I may say two players, uh, and, and they may be my two best players. They may be just two players uh, that play a lot, whatever. Or I might have two players that don't even play pick teams. So I'm going to say, uh, I may call them in before practice, say, hey, we're going to we're going to pick five on five teams. Each get each get a player, and you go from there. So now they they're picking the teams based on that. Uh, sometimes I'll even have that done on the court. I'm going to say, all right, you have four seconds to pick your next player. It's kind of interesting to see if players pick pick their buddies or you know, they really pick players that they know they're going to win with. And for the most part, they they're going to pick players they really know they're going to win with. You know, I think that whole issue, that topic of, of guys putting their own teams together, guys identifying the, the strengths of their teammates and, and knowing who does what well, we, we could probably spend uh, a, a large portion of a podcast just on that issue alone. I think that's a pretty fascinating thing. But I, I want to ask a little bit more about the your experience with USA Basketball from this perspective. We, we, we've been had some stretches of time where with the senior men's national team, we've obviously struggled. Um but even at times when we were struggling with the senior men's national team, we've, we've been somewhat dominant uh, at the lower levels. And, and so there's two questions to this. One is, what do you attribute that to? That's question one. Question two is, over your time of working with the uh, junior national team as you do, what what countries across the world have you seen that have kind of closed the gap on us? And, 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 and can we learn from them? Yeah, I'll go. I'll, first of all, let me take your first question that you asked. You know, I always said uh, with our with our junior national team, if you would take our five best players, and we take you take, for instance, France's France, their five best players on their U17 team, and you'd play ten games, you know, we'd probably win seven, six or seven of those games. They probably went three or four, uh, just five on five, no self. Now, if you take our team, we'll, we'll win all of them because of our next seven coming in. Our next seven off the bench are so much better than the seven that France brings off the bench. Uh, for instance, we played France in, in 2000, our last World Cup championship, 2018. They had three NBA players on that on their team. I mean, they were really good. But, you know, when we got to their bench, their bench was, was not very, you know, just average. Our bench, we come in with NBA players. So I think that's why we have done such a great job with our younger kids, 16, 17, 18, 19, is, is our depth is our has been so much better. Senior men, I think, have, been, have, have done that as well. 
but I think that's a little bit, there's a little less definition in, in that because I think we bring guys off the bench, you know, uh, France brings guys off the bench in senior men's team level. They're, they're also play in the European League or NBA League uh, as well. So just the overall level of competition, 1 through 12 of players, I think, um, gets a little bit closer as, you, as we develop the senior men's team. And, of course, the last World Championship, you know, was, was not even – that was indicative of our – of our teams at all because of the fact that uh, you know, we were using we were using uh, some G League guys just to fill a roster uh, and just to qualify for the Olympics. So that was a little different scenario on that. So I think that's one one of the one of the reasons why we've always been so dominant. And, and our athleticism has always carried us. The athleticism as they get older with foreign teams, international teams, kind of gets a little better. And it closes the gap a little bit as well. Um, and then, uh, boy, some of the countries, I think, you know, we've been really fortunate. I think we ended up beating France in the gold medal game by over 40 points uh, in 2018. Uh, uh, in 2016, we played Turkey in the World Cup, and uh, we ended up beating them by 35 or 40 points. I think our... Again, our pressure defense and the ability for us to bring guys off the bench and not lose anything is, is a huge, is a huge help in that. Um, countries that are really making a big inroad are ones that I think have really good youth programs. And they call it mini basket, you know, ages seven through 14. What they're doing with that. France is really uh, a, a country that's, that's making, uh, I think, progress in that. Um, Spain has always been good with that. Italy has been good, and then they've fallen off a little bit. Now they're coming back into being uh, a little bit uh, better from the competitive standpoint. Uh, Europe, a surprising country in Europe is putting a lot of time and effort into their youth program. It's starting to show up as Finland, where their youth program is getting much better. Now their junior teams and their senior teams have really improved. They put some players in the European League and the NBA as well. Uh, Russia is always big and strong. Serbia is one of those countries you know exactly what you're going to get. They're big, strong. They have value to the bitter end. Um, we've been real fortunate. Uh, Serbia has not really caused us much problem as far as winning. Um, but boy, I tell you what, they come to play and they play hard. I think of all the teams, all the countries, you know, in Europe that those kind of pretty much hit, but uh, Argentina, in uh, South America is always good. Uh, I think Argentina, we've always played um, in the finals for our U16 is a tournament. That's an America's tournament. We have to we have to finish high to qualify for the World Cup the next year as U17. So basically, the same kids uh, are, are asked back two years in a row. Uh, one, first for the qualification tournament, which... Uh, you know, we played Argentina. Brazil is always pretty good. Uh, surprisingly, Uruguay was good one year. Uh, but, but year in and year out, it's always Uruguay has been the team to beat there um, in, in South America. But the team that really probably is, is, is much like we are uh, is Canada. You know, they always they have really good players. But they play very similar to, we, to what we do. They're very athletic. They can do a lot of the same things that we do. 
press and run. You know, they have, a, you know, the R.J. Barrett. Uh, that group is really, really good from uh, from Canada. And a lot of their kids play at, at U.S. high schools. So that obviously has made them a much better uh, country to compete against. Well, I, you well, know, we, we've seen such an astounding growth in, in the number of Canadian players that – are impacting this country that obviously it's not surprising to have that country on the list. What I'm finding interesting, Don, is that like I can remember being a, a kid, a teenager when, when the Olympics didn't go well in 88. And so we made the decision that we were going to allow our pros to participate in the Olympics. And my feeling then, even as a teenager was, you know, once we expose the world to what we are capable of and what, what we do, it, it stands to reason that if they if they go to work on it, that, that they're going to close the gap. And where I where I really am fascinated about the international impact of things is I felt like from the time we spent sent the dream team over there and, and guys like Del Harris and and Don Nelson and some of these other people started to get involved internationally. We shared the game to such a degree that those countries began to grow and prosper and develop. And then they've also now, in my estimation, They've, they're creative in, in a lot of the countries. I think Spain is, and and, uh, and and we're we're now being impacted by the things that their coaches and their systems do. And I think that's really great for basketball. Oh, absolutely. And you know that's that's one of the things that with USA basketball, I do. You know, I travel internationally a lot, get clinics, uh, uh, coaching clinics around the world. And and with USA basketball, we we really feel that. One of our jobs is to grow the game worldwide, even though we're USA Basketball, because if we grow the game worldwide, we think that's going to make USA Basketball better in the long run as well. So when we educate players or I go work, you know, I'll, go, I'll be involved with youth camps over in, in Europe or, or Asia, you know, we think that's just a healthy way to grow the game and, and uh, in a kind of a roundabout way improve the game of basketball in the U.S. in the U.S. as well. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I if I'm guilty of anything as a as a quote unquote basketball junkie, it's that oftentimes I've placed the value of growing the game over winning gold medals. Uh, we we haven't had we haven't had to sacrifice too much in that area, but once in a while when we don't win a gold medal, and I and I think it's because of what we've done to share the game has made the game better. I I actually feel kind of good about that. I really I really do. Um, because I, I just value the game and what and what it is, and I'm passionate about it. So, uh, you know, I, I ended up taking some notes here, and there are probably seven or eight more questions I could ask, and, and I'm not going to because I told you we'd try to keep it to about an hour, and we're a little bit over that right now. Coach Showalter, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and and uh, if you ever get tired of hauling Eric Flannery around, and you want another 48 or 50 year old, if you want another 48 or 50 year old assistant, I'll volunteer. Uh, sounds like what you guys do is fascinating and, and, and I love it. And um, I'm glad we've got guys like you involved and, and feel real fortunate that I got a chance to meet you and hopefully maybe down the road we can keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll be glad to be on again sometime. If you want to finish with some or any questions, we can have another conversation as well. So appreciate what you do to grow the game of basketball. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we're in for. We have a lot of passion for the game and, um, when we're in, we're, when we're in it for the right reasons, why it makes a big difference. So, what, what's the chances if I sent you my address, you could float me a USA Basketball T-shirt? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to have one. I, I I was a large when this quarantine started. I'm more of an extra large now, but that was kind of predictable. So yeah. Uh, that, that would be awesome. Listen, I, I again, I just appreciate you taking the time to do this, and, and I'll let you get spend time with your family. Have a great weekend, and I hope to talk to you again before too long. Thank you.
Sounds good. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talking Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0. Anchor.fm backslash john-cook0. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.